there. I'm your friend Bev, host of Stop Psychoanalyzing Me, a podcast about mental health. I interview experts and ask questions about mental disorders that all of us might be curious about. Come join me. Seifman is a PhD student in clinical psychology at Ryerson University in Toronto. His research focuses on enhancing mental disorder treatments by integrating evidence-based psychological treatments with pharmacological ones, such as MDMA. He recently authored a scientific paper that examined how ayahuasca use influenced suicidal thoughts among people with depression. Today, he will be talking with us about how mental disorders could be treated with psychedelic drugs. Thank you so much, Richard, for being here. It's good to be with you. So I've been really excited about this interview because I've heard that you study drugs. Yeah, tell me a bit about that. Sure. So I'm a PhD student in clinical psychology at Ryerson University. Okay. I'm also a collaborator with the Center for Psychedelic Research at Imperial College London. And uh, my research focuses on what's called psychedelic therapy. So that's using a specific class of drugs, commonly referred to as psychedelics, in combination with psychotherapy to evaluate their potential as mental health interventions. So that's looking to uh, treat things like depression, PTSD, and suicidality. And my research specifically focuses on trying to understand how they might uh, lead to improvements in mental health and well-being. Okay, so you study the use of drugs alongside therapy. Yeah, most of my research is focused on using it uh, alongside therapy, but the drug is generally being administered in what we would call a therapeutic context. So there's preparation with a therapist, uh, the therapist is generally at least present when the drug is being administered. And then there's psychotherapy that usually occurs after the drug is administered and the days and weeks following. So you're telling me that the research that you look at actually has people with symptoms of mental health problems, whether it be depression, anxiety, trauma, and then they might take a psychedelic do some therapy, and then your job is to look at how well that worked. Is that right? Yeah. So my job is to look at what are the effects, the kind of moderate to long-term effects. So how does it impact their PTSD symptoms or their depression symptoms, their well-being in the weeks and months following? Do we see that they have long-term improvements in their mental health? And my job is also to try to examine what is it about psychedelic therapy that might lead to those outcomes. So specifically, what kind of psychological changes might a psychedelic effect in a person that allow them to see this kind of long-term improvement that's present even once the acute effect of the psychedelic has worn off? Okay, that is so interesting. I have so many questions for you. But I think what I really want to know is, what is a psychedelic? Because when I hear psychedelic, I think psilocybin or magic mushrooms. I'm thinking LSD. Is that right? Or are there other ones? What are you looking at? The terminology is fuzzy and there's lots of kind of boundaries. You might think of classic psychedelics, which are the more traditional psychedelics, including things like LSD, 
psilocybin, which is the active ingredient or the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms, or ayahuasca, which is a psychoactive brew that was used in shamanic rituals in uh, Central and South America as what we would call classic psychedelics. So they're the more traditionally used psychedelics. And the term psychedelics is, a, is an interesting one. It was originally coined in the 1950s by Humphrey Osmond. And what it means, it comes from the Greek terms for mind manifesting. So the idea is that psycho, psychedelics have a range of effects. But one okay. of the interesting things is that they seem to have this way in which they give access to or seem to give access to information or parts of one's mind that one might not usually have access to. They often engender emotions, thoughts, uh, and experiences that are somewhat different from what you might expect in your normal kind of day-to-day -day life. So you're saying when you take a psychedelic, you might have an experience where you have access to parts of the mind that you might not otherwise have access to. Yeah, so the specific mind manifesting idea comes from more early terminology that's more Freudian. That's the idea that we have access to the conscious mind, but there's a subconscious part of our mind that we don't generally have access to. And so the idea there is that there's often parts of our mind that don't make those aspects of our mind open. There's a kind of resistance to them. And in some way, a psychedelic opens up or makes available to us those kind of experiences. You can speak about it in different ways. So some people might call a psychedelic a hallucinogen. Generally are moving away from that term because a hallucinogen refers to the main idea that you have a hallucination. And with a psychedelic, a hallucination is not really the primary effect. You might have some mild uh, hallucinogenic effects, but it's not necessarily going to be there or present for any or most people. So the idea is that in some ways it opens us up to parts of ourselves that are not necessarily present for us in normal kind of day-to-day -day life. Isn't that the goal of therapy? When you go to a therapist's office, you want someone to help you uncover these parts of yourself that might be covered up. And so you're saying when you do a psychedelic and you're high on a psychedelic, if that's the term, <laughs> you might be able to better access these things. Yeah. So the idea uh, really with psychedelics and in the context of therapy is that we would think about them as a kind of therapeutic amplifier. Therapy, okay. you're looking to, depending on the kind of therapy, but for the most part, you're looking to give people some kind of insight into the things that have contributed toward their mental experience. You're looking to provide them with the opportunity for new learning. And what a psychedelic does, at least for a, a temporary amount of time, uh, is it opens a person up to be able to experience that kind of learning. We, you might think about it as a, a good analogy as if you think about a, a ski hill and there, it's snowing on a ski hill and it's covered, mm -hmm. every time you yeah. go down that ski hill, you create a track. And the okay. more you go down that ski hill, the thicker that track becomes. And over time, it just becomes much easier to go down that track as right. it thickens. Right. Okay. So our minds in some way are like that. We go down a certain path or we get hooked into a certain pattern of thinking or a certain behavior. And over time, that becomes almost the only pattern, the only way of thinking or behaving that we're familiar with. And so you might think of what a psychedelic does is it puts a, a fresh layer of snow on the hill so that you can still go down that old path that you used to. But at least there's a kind of opening up of seeing alternative paths, alternative ways of thinking, of behaving, okay. or even of 
relating to your experience. I love that idea of there's a ski hill that we might go down. And and when I hear that, I think of certain mental disorders that might involve like kind of repetitive patterns of behavior. I'm thinking of OCD. I'm thinking of other kinds of repetitive patterns of behavior. I, I guess I'm wondering what kinds of problems can psychedelics help with? I'd say that the research is in an early phase, but promising phase. I wouldn't say that there's anything that I would say at the moment is for sure going to pan out to be effective for any particular disorder. Okay. But so far, there's been research in a number of areas that's been promising. The most heavily researched area, at least over the last 20 years, is for people who have received a life, who have a life-threatening illness, and due to the life-threatening illness, are experiencing a lot of distress. So oftentimes being told that they have cancer, it might be a late stage cancer, and there's a lot of receiving a diagnosis like that in addition addition to the kind of physical issue that comes with that. Mm -hmm. There is this sense of a loss of meaning, uh, a sense of impending doom related to one's death, and there's a lot of anxiety and depression that often comes along with that. And that's a that's an issue that we actually don't really have terribly effective interventions for. First line interventions for that basically are pretty similar to a placebo effect. So effects are not very strong. And so we basically need better interventions. And the few studies that have been done in that area have suggested that for the majority of people, there is a significant and large reduction in their symptoms of anxiety and depression. And this research also suggests that even four to five years later, those effects are maintained. Wow. It sounds like you can't make any claims, but there's some really promising research out there that shows that these drugs might help. Yeah. So I'd say that's the area in which we have the most amount of data. Okay. Uh, and there's enough data that the Canadian government, I should say psych- psychedelics are all schedule one drugs, which means yes. it's they're not available in a therapeutic context. They're only really av- available in a research context. Okay. So I can't ask my psychiatrist, let's say, or my therapist to give me one of these drugs because I know it would help me. Yeah. So at present, you wouldn't be able to do that. Okay. Interestingly enough, the Canadian government recently approved, it's called compassionate care. So that's in extenuating circumstances. They allowed four individuals to be able to receive psilocybin therapy outside of a research trial. And they've done that because of the kind of early promising results that suggest that this might actually be something that's helpful. Okay. So four people, four, four people were able to actually get this therapy outside of research. It sounds like these drugs are pretty difficult to get. And I'm wondering, would you recommend that our listeners go out and search out psychedelics on their own to manage their own symptoms? Before I get to that, I wonder if I could share a little bit more of the other kind of data on it. For people with anxiety and distress related to an end-of-life diagnosis that there are these uh, early signs that it's effective. Mm-hmm. Another case is for people with either major depressive disorder or for people which, with what's called treatment-resistant depression. So those are people who ha- have depression and have tried at least one to two interventions for depression that haven't worked. Okay. Um, so there, the, the early research on that has also been promising enough that the FDA has granted psilocybin. So that's the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. It has granted psilocybin thera- therapy, what's called breakthrough therapy status. So that oh, means wow. that 
the early research suggests that it, it might be more effective than all current interventions that we have and puts it, puts it on a fast track to potentially being approved. So it hasn't yet been approved, but even the FDA or governmental bodies have formally recognized that there is this potential in a number of areas. So you're saying that for some people who've tried a whole bunch of different treatments for depression, maybe that's like talk therapy, maybe that's medication. And for people who have this sort of, I think you call it treatment resistant depression where the treatment isn't working, this might actually be their best bet. Is that what you're saying? I would say those studies are still early. So lots okay. of limitations, small sample sizes. Okay. Uh, there is definitely more research that has to be done. But we, what we could say is that the preliminary re results say that this may potentially be a good intervention for them. Mm -hmm. So still lots of more research that has to happen, but it's certainly promising that it, it could be an intervention that would be effective. Okay. And yeah, you even called it a breakthrough and <laughs> breakthrough treatment, right? <laughs> That's the FDA's language. It is. Yeah. And that comes from a place of even for something like depression, we have interventions that work standard, what people would call an antidepressant or a, it's formally called the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Those are, have been shown to be effective for depression, but the truth is that they're not necessarily as effective as you might want and they're not effective for everybody. So while that would still be the thing that would be recommended as a first-line treatment, psychedelic therapy or psilocybin therapy in particular does seem like it might be a, a good option, at least for those people who standard antidepressant medications haven't been effective for. And I'm wondering, Rick, you published a, a big paper pretty recently, and I'm pretty sure that paper was looking at suicide in particular. Yeah. So we, along with collaborators at Ryerson and at Imperial College London, we published a paper in Frontiers in Psychiatry. That paper was looking at people who are using psychedelics either in general, so not in a therapeutic context necessarily, or people that were using a psychedelic in a ceremonial context. So that's generally where people are going to some kind of retreat center and are being administered a psychedelic often in a group context or alongside some kind of psychosocial intervention. Mm -hmm. uh, and for that, what we found was that uh, two and four weeks after people took a psychedelic, they had significant reductions in their depressive symptoms and in suicidal ideation. We okay. also found that there were significant reductions in something that's called experiential avoidance, which is basically the extent to which people tend to run away from or try to avoid difficult or distressing experiences. What we found was that the amount that people decreased in their use of uh, avoidance was quite strongly associated with decreases in depression and suicidal ideation. So that gives okay. us one preliminary result that might suggest that psychedelics might work by making people less avoidant and more acceptant of their emotional experiences. ideation, do you just mean thoughts of suicide? What does that mean? Yeah, so we use two different measures. Uh, one measure just asks you about thoughts about suicide, but it's basically looking at suicidality on a spectrum. So at the highest level of one's kind of thoughts of about suicide could be active planning or 
really making efforts toward uh, suicide. But for some people, and because this wasn't a clinical sample, many of the people didn't necessarily have severe suicidal ideation. So I'd say the majority of the people included in this sample had more of the, on the kind of mild side. So maybe Mm. thoughts about suicide, maybe starting to think about it a little more often, but the vast majority were not on the more severe side. And we didn't measure things like suicidal behaviors, so whether or not people actually attempted suicide, but we did measure the extent to which they were thinking about it and planning in a sense. Okay, interesting. So in a nutshell, it sounds like you found that when folks were using psilocybin specifically, they had less thoughts of suicide They had less depression symptoms, so that might be like sadness or loss of interest, and they were less likely to avoid painful experiences. That's right. It was not necessarily psilocybin, so some of the people used things like ayahuasca or LSD. Okay. And it wasn't that while they were on the effects of the psychedelic, we didn't measure their sadness or their thoughts about suicide. It was two to four weeks later. Yeah, so the idea was in the weeks following, what does it do to someone's emotions, someone's uh, sadness, that kind of thing. I should say that the study had a a number of important limitations. It it drew in a specific sample of people who had interest in using psychedelics. We relied fully on self-report and we we didn't have control conditions. So we weren't able to control for things like the placebo effect or even things like regression to the mean or Mm. even people just wanting it to work. So then reporting that it it worked because of that. So mm-hmm. there are certainly limitations with our with our study, but it did add some more evidence to this idea that psychedelics may be beneficial across a broad range of mental health issues and added a little bit of data as well to one of the reasons why that might be. So I did want to circle back to my earlier question, yeah. which was, should people listening to this podcast, reading this study, reading other studies, should they go out and find psychedelics and use that to treat their symptoms? So I'd say majority of the research that has been done on psychedelics has been done on administering psychedelics in the context of a psychosocial intervention. What's a psychosocial intervention for those of us who don't know? That's a a a big term. (laughs) Yeah. So that's alongside a therapist, someone who's preparing you for the experience, someone who's present for the experience, and someone who helps you to make sense of it afterward. So it's really a a trained mental health professional. Okay. So I should say that the majority of the research has been done in that kind of context. Whereas for some drugs, say a standard antidepressant, the effect just comes because you took the medication and that's it doesn't matter really the context in which you take the medication. Mm, okay. It's not necessarily true that with a psychedelic, it's just the fact that you took the drug that's going to help. We really do think that there is an importance to the context in which you take the drug that contributes toward whether it's going to be beneficial uh, or even potentially challenging and difficult. Okay, so that reminds me of the times I've heard about drugs. You have to be in the right setting. Is that sort of what you mean? And also, what do those terms mean exactly? So we tend to think that psychedelics are heavily influenced by the context in which they're taken. And like you pointed out, that can be divided into set and setting. 
So set is the mindset. It's basically who is the person who is receiving the drug. So depending on you know the makeup of the individual, as well as the state that they're in when they're taking the drug, that's going to actually impact what their experience is on the drug and probably what the effect of the drug is in the long term. So if you think of one mindset that a person might take it in, if a person is highly anxious, they might have a more challenging experience than someone who's less anxious. So really the, who the person is impacts what the experience is going to look like. So that's the set of mind, that's the set and set and setting. The setting is the kind of physical space in which it's taken. So if you think about the, most of the research has been done where people are receiving the drug when they're alongside a therapist, they're usually in a dimly lit room, an aesthetically pleasing room, there's music playing, kind of a warm and comfortable environment in which people feel very safe. An alternative place that someone might take a, a psychedelic is at a rave or at a festival. And that's going to be a very different kind of place to take it and is going to impact what the experience might look like for the person. So if someone is in a safe and comfortable environment, they're much, they're probably more likely to have an experience that's positive. Whereas if someone's in an environment in which they feel unsafe or they feel like they can't trust the people around them, they're more likely to have a challenging or a difficult experience. It sounds like it's probably not a good idea then to take these drugs without a therapist present, or at least when you're not in a comfortable and safe space, because it sounds like maybe in those cases, it could have adverse effects actually, and not be therapeutic. So I think the people being fully informed about the potential risks is very important. It's not my place to tell people whether they should or shouldn't take any drugs, but I do come at it from more of a, a harm reduction approach. So I think if people are going to take a psychedelic, they should at least be aware that it's possible to have a difficult experience with it. They should also be aware that depending on their psychological makeup, that might affect what their experience looks like. So in the clinical trials, people that have risk of things like bipolar disorder or any psychotic type disorders are generally excluded. And that's both in order to you know, maximize safety and because there are some concerns, although we don't know for sure, that it may increase the likelihood of there being challenging experiences and potentially adverse consequences. So what I would say is that people should be fully aware of the potential risks they, if they are planning on using a, a drug, they should be sure that they know what kind of drug they're getting. With, especially with a drug like MDMA, it is possible to be taking something else. Okay. And is that ecstasy? Is that MDMA? Yeah. So MDMA is the pure form of what's generally called ecstasy. So ecstasy often has some other kind of mild stimulants mixed in with it, uh, but MDMA is the pure form and that's what's being researched generally. So I'd say from a harm reduction perspective, be cautious, be careful. If you are going to do it, it might be worthwhile to reach out to a mental health professional so that they're potentially there for you if you do need them. There are people who, you know, although you can't uh, be administered a psychedelic in a therapeutic context currently, there are people who do what's called integration work. And that's basically mental health professionals who won't be with you when you take a psychedelic, but they will talk to you about 
what the experience might be like. They might help you to prepare for it. And they might be available to you afterward if you had a difficult or challenging experience. And you mentioned that MDMA is the drug that most researchers are looking at? Yeah. So MDMA isn't what you would call a classic psychedelic. That's mostly because the experience is quite different and the the pharmacology, so the chemistry of it and how it affects the brain is also somewhat different. But in research context, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy is being researched primarily for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and they're using pure MDMA. So not ecstasy, which has other things, but the pure form of MDMA. Where are they getting these drugs? Who's making these drugs to be used in these trials? Yeah, it's a good question. With the MDMA actually preserves for a long time. So there were large batches of it that were made about 20 to 30 or maybe even more years ago and have been sitting and are available from that. There are also other companies in terms of psilocybin that are making it. So USONA is one not-for-profit company that's synthesizing psilocybin and is giving it to researchers. When purchased in a research context, it could be quite expensive. And there are lots of barriers to being able to do research with it. You have to have a, right. a large safe and there's a, a lot of restraints against doing it, oh. much more than, say, doing research with cocaine or heroin. But it is possible to, to do in a very constrained context. Okay, and I'm interested in this MDMA story. You said there's just piles of it saved up from 30 or 40 years ago? <laughs> Yeah, so a lot of it that they've been using in the studies was created uh, a while back. It could be that I imagine that there are people who are currently making it. MDMA is a synthetic drug, which means that it, it's made in a laboratory. It's not grown. So there are laboratories that are producing it. Okay, and so these laboratories are specifically producing these drugs to see if administering these drugs along with therapy can help people. Yeah, that's right. That makes me wonder, do you think psychedelics are going to replace therapists one day? I think it's quite unlikely that they'll replace therapists. I think if anything, they're more therapeutic amplifiers than they are uh, mm. replacers. So whereas if you might take an antidepressant drug instead of going to a therapist, when you're taking a psychedelic, it really is generally alongside a psychotherapist. Right. So we think about them more as pharmacological agents that might be able to help or facilitate therapeutic processes mm -hmm. with a therapist, but not as something that can replace uh, therapists. Okay. And that's mostly because, and correct me if I'm wrong, because these drugs tend to reduce this idea of experiential avoidance. It helps people come in contact, if you will, with the painful experiences that might be really bothering them, that they might have a difficult time talking about. Yeah, so that I would say is, research suggests that's one of the mechanisms. There are probably a few. If you think about that kind of slope of snow that we spoke about before, that tendency to avoid one's negative experiences is probably one track that people often go down and that a psychedelic might help to put some fresh snow over. But there are probably other tracks that people go down that psychedelics might help with. So if a person has really negative assumptions about themselves or others, it's possible that's another means through which psychedelics might be helpful for one's mental health. It might make you more open or accepting of other people or other experiences. 
Yeah, or possibly even accepting of oneself. So it might help to get people out of a pattern of having negative thoughts or assumptions about themselves or others or the world. I think we all need that. Whichever medium it happens through, I think psychedelics are one potential means of going about that. But I, I agree in that. I think whether it's through psychotherapy with or without psychedelics, that being able to broaden one's perspective and not get necessarily hunkered down in assumptions uh, about the world or about ourselves is important. So it's just a question of figuring out what's the best way to do that. I want to wrap up our conversation, but I think before I let you go, I'm interested in what you think might be some common misconceptions that people have either about this research or about using psychedelics. I know one thing we've spoken about in the past is the idea of microdosing. So that's something where there's a lot of talk about it now. Microdosing is the practice of taking a small amount of a psychedelic every day, every other day, or maybe up to twice a week. And so there are lots of assumptions that, or many people assume that it's effective for depression or helpful for creativity. The truth is uh, a lot of that research hasn't really been done. So that doesn't mean that it isn't effective. It just means that we don't necessarily know yet. Yeah, I think I've heard a lot about people in Silicon Valley microdosing. I think that's something I've read about. And they believe that it helps them be sharper and more creative. And you're saying, we just actually don't know that. We don't have the research on that yet. Yeah. So it's the kind of area where we have some anecdotal evidence and that's certainly interesting and suggests that we, we should explore that. But it's definitely an area that not enough research has been done yet. There are some other assumptions that people often have, especially for people that grew up, say, in the 70s or 80s. There is a lot of, I would say, misinformation about what psychedelics are and what their effects are. So there's a lot of assumptions about their safety. Some of these assumptions are actually baked into governmental regulations. So like I mentioned before, psychedelics are Schedule 1 drugs, which means they have high risk for abuse and have and don't show any signs of being uh, useful therapeutically. But the truth is all the research that's been done so far suggests that's not the case. Psychedelics, like, like any other drug, could have potentially negative consequences. But when compared with other drugs that are frequently prescribed, actually have a, quite a strong safety profile. So long as they're administered or used in the appropriate context with the right kind of supervision, they do seem to be quite safe, especially compared with other uh, drugs that are commonly prescribed. Okay. Or even I'm wondering things like morphine or other painkillers. Yeah, so morphine would be an opiate and that would certainly be much higher. Alcohol would probably be one that's actually highest up on the list in terms of having a very poor safety profile, high risk for abuse, and morphine or opiates would be just about as uh, close to as high as alcohol generally, whereas psychedelics are generally on the other side. So they show very low risk of abuse uh, or dependence. Okay, and that's so interesting because psychedelics are lumped in with other schedule one drugs, right? Like cocaine and heroin. And yet you're saying, and it looks like the research supports this, there's actually a pretty low risk with taking these meds or these drugs rather. Yeah, that's right. And actually cocaine and opiates are I think, schedule two or schedule three drugs, depending on the specific drug. So they're actually technically thought to be uh, safer, but the majority of the research has actually suggested that isn't necessarily the case. 
So this tells us that psychedelic therapy might be one way to tackle kind of current mental health concerns that does seem to be a safe way, at least when uh, done in the, with the appropriate safety. And just goes to show the role of government and society and thinking about drugs and how it totally impacts the way that drugs are scheduled and thought of in terms of their risk. And now we're seeing research on these drugs. And, and so it sounds like there's almost, and let me know your thoughts on this, there's almost a shift now in the way we, we're starting to think about psychedelics. Yeah, I do think that there's a shift that's happening. The fact that the, the FDA granted breakthrough therapy status to psilocybin and to MDMA, actually, for PTSD, and the recent government of Canada allowing use its use for compassionate care, I think does speak to this idea that even though we're not necessarily there to the point where we should be prescribing or giving it to everybody. And that even though a lot of research has to be done before that's the case, there is somewhat of a shift uh, in that it seems like that's at least the direction that we might head in. Very cool. I'm so looking forward to seeing the other research that you and your collaborators put out. I'm excited. This seems like the new frontier, really. We're on a, you're on a cutting edge here, Rick. It feels like an exciting uh, area of research to be a part of, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. It was such a pleasure. Take good care, okay? And that was today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was hosted by Bev Catherine and produced by Yuri Hladio. Podcasting isn't free. Consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron on patreon.com. You'll get early access to episodes and other exclusive content. You can find us on patreon.com slash stop psychoanalyzing me. Until next time.